no stopping what you plan Give us faith to move the mountain And hope to dream again We see the fires of revive Amen, come on church The darkness giving way to light The glory of your grace advancing Let it burn up the night let it burn up tonight
for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we're thankful for salvation this morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. And this morning, oh God, we hunger after your presence as we pour out our love to you, as we pour out our heart to you this morning. May you come and meet us in a special way. Come on with hands lifted in this room. In your own voice, just say, God, come and meet me in a special way today. Lord, I need your presence. I need you, Jesus. Come and meet me this morning. Come and meet me, Jesus. Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord. May my heart follow wholly after you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out to you, O living God. I thank you, Jesus. church that he restores us yes and now I'm yours and you are mine and from my heart a song will rise and I love you I love you come on can you lift your voice and sing
and I will dwell in the house of the love of the Lord. into his presence this morning church hands lifted voices raised come on we worship oh magnify the king that's above all kings magnify the lord that's above all lords we honor your presence oh lord how excellent is your name in all the earth <laughs> i love you 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 thankful that the old is gone the new has come this morning amen amen come on church come on I want you to sing it out come on sing
beginning a new series on community called Koinonia from 1 John. And the concept there is how important it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity, as the psalmist said. And when we take communion, I've emphasized this and just felt like should emphasize it again. That we remember the body of Christ. But scripture tells us that we are the body of Christ. And that we need to be knit together in love, one with another. And I just want to give a word of encouragement to you. We just came through our district council and sometimes along the way there are bumps and bruises and relationships get wounded. How many have ever had a wounded relationship? Eight of you, the rest of you don't have any. Let's try that again. How many have ever had a wounded relationship? And I just I just want you to know that God supernaturally moved in in my life to bring people where there were wrens back into my life to repair those. And only God can do that. Here's what I want you to understand. If if Barry and I were having an issue, I can try as hard as I want to fix it, but until Jesus shows up, it won't be fixed. He's got to move on both hearts. And as much as I want it repaired, it won't be repaired until Jesus moves on that heart. All I can do is live in a way that is right, and a way that is true, and pray that God will knit his body together. What might happen in this world if the body of Christ was truly the body of Christ? Come on. That we loved each other and we worked through our differences rather than running from them. I'm not preaching yet, but you keep looking at me in that stone face and I'm liable to. <laughs> so this morning, I want you to think about, first, your relationship to Jesus. Is it what it should be? And if it is what it should be, that is a wonderful thing. If it isn't, then right now, while we're praying over the bread, make that right. Ask him to forgive you and make it right. But also, if you have a relationship that's wounded, could be family, could be a neighbor, could be someone at church, someone on the job. When we talk about his body broken, he was broken so that we could be whole. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but would you just name that relationship to him? Wouldn't it be wonderful if Monday God began to move in such a way that his broken body provided opportunities for our extended body to be whole? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Come on, wouldn't that be wonderful? Amen, amen, amen. So when we take the bread, I want you to just think for a moment, is there a relationship that I, that, that I want to see God repair? Let's name that to him. Can we do that? Amen, amen. Right now, lift the wafer. If you're not right with Jesus, where you ought to be, ask him to forgive you. But right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enlighten our minds and our spirits to focus on a relationship that you want to repair. We are the body of Christ and we are members, specifically members of that body. So would you right now begin a healing process as we remember your body that was broken for us? Would you help us remember that healing that you brought to us? and that you tore down the wall of separation between us so that we could be one. We thank you for your body broken so that we could be whole. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the wafer.
walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another and his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I want you to think about that progression with me. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and his blood cleanses us. You know what's essential for us to have healthy relationships? That we get cleansed. Amen? Come on. That we get cleansed. That we get our hearts right. And that's what this shed blood is all about. Would you give thanks to Jesus for his cleansing power right now? Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed, that our sins could be forgiven, that we could be made whole, that we could be in right standing with you. And out of our wholeness comes whole and healthy relationships. We thank you right now for your shed blood in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the cup together. Now would you magnify him. Lift your hands, magnify him. For all that you've done, we will pour out Just the congregation sing, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. Come on, can we just praise that name this morning? Thank you, Jesus. always may we open our ears to hear open our minds understand but more importantly may we open our hearts to receive your word you are an amazing god you are an amazing god can we just say that you are an amazing god <laughs> and we love you in your name we pray and everyone said amen turn on next to you and say i serve an amazing god amen introduce the video normally we just play the video that leads into the message but I needed to uh, introduce it before you see it we had a, a, a great district council there's some really great things that happened um, anytime people are involved there's gonna be bumps and bruises along the way how many know that it wasn't perfect but we had some great things that took place that I'm really thankful for and one of those is when we invest in the lives of others 
when we invest in the lives of others. So in this whole idea of koinonia and fellowship, there was an event that took place on Monday night that I just wanted you to be able to see and be a part of. Well, Pastor Choco, would you come up and join me for just a moment? We got a surprise tonight. Yeah, we do. Well, the Lord bless you. And power stewardship is part that comes out of the General Treasurer's Office in Springfield. It's out of the Lilly Grant. And the Lilly Grant has given us some money to go around and be with a blessed pastors who are struggling with medical bills and so forth. And that's what I've been doing lately, traveling to different districts, and that's what I'm doing tonight. I want to present a check. And we normally give out $1,500 to an individual uh, of a network or a district. But this district has gone above and beyond, and, and Pastor Guy can kind of fill in the rest of the story of, uh, of what they have done. All right. Are you ready? This is so exciting. We talked about at the last presbyters meeting in March, we talked about a $1,500 check coming for someone with medical bills, a minister in the Iowa Ministry Network with medical bills. And as we discussed it and prayerfully looked at it, one name came to the surface time and time again. And we found out that they've had about 14 surgeries on their ears. And they are one of our worship leaders. In fact, our worship leader standing right behind me tonight. And as we, and as we gathered in the presbytery meeting, listen to me, listen to me, $1,500 was given by national headquarters. Presbyter after presbyter, church after church around, we heard that the need for two hearing aids was $6,000. So we raised in that presbyter's meeting $4,500. So we are presenting to you, Nathan Thomas, $6,000 for those hearing aids that you want. for the last week because we knew you'd cry. <laughs> That's called koinonia. And one of the, um, I'll try to do this without I'm getting emotional, but one of the things I thought was um, just hilarious about the end of that, when Pastor Nathan began to get his composure, he said, oh, just let me sing something. <laughs> <laughs> Went to his gifting, let me sing something. So it was a thrill to be part of that. I had a young minister say to me, I felt proud to be part of the Iowa Ministry Network when we're reaching out and ministering to one another. Turn with me to 1 John or open your digital device to 1 John chapter 1. It's just, I, I think there's potential for a new day in our fellowship in Iowa. 
I also think it's, there's potential for us to have a new day in our fellowship here at Berean. Yeah. Moving forward, we've been on the defensive and in a survival mode. And uh, with the vaccines coming out and people feeling more comfortable, there's an opportunity for us to step up and be the church in a unique way. We were not built for isolation and quarantine. I was at a funeral, it was uh, Mark Cooper's father's funeral, and I saw Jacob Cooper and Jeremiah Cooper, and I walked up, because you don't know what people, are you gonna shake hands, do you kick feet, do you do elbows, do you bow, what do you do? And I said, so what do we do here? And uh, Jacob looked at me and he said, we shake hands. We're built for community. Amen. We're built for contact. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you're in a place where you're not comfortable that you violate um, the quarantine or the um, social distancing issues or not be safe. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's time for us to move as a body from isolation back to community in some fashion or other. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, um, oh, I shouldn't do what I'm gonna do right now. If you don't feel comfortable with that, I get that and I affirm you and you keep joining us online, I affirm you in that. I'm, I'm totally good with that. But I just have to chuckle. Can I just have a little fun here for a moment? Yeah. Wednesday night, we have been averaging about 70 to 80 people. And when I announced that we weren't going to live stream, we had 172 people crammed a chair to chair in here. I'm just saying, you can get mad at me you want, but not everybody's staying home because of COVID. Come on. Some are, and I affirm you in that. And I get that, and I, I affirm you in that. But if you can cram in this place, because we're not going to live stream, Maybe we need to relook at our commitment to community. Amen. Come on. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying to us, is there anyone in the house? Boy, it felt, it just got cold up here. It just got really nervous. So um, I'm not trying to beat on anyone, and I want us all to be safe, and we certainly don't want another outbreak. But I do think it's time for us to relook at some things. Second, setting up this series. I have a friend at the beginning of COVID. Everybody smile. Look at your neighbor and smile and say, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. He'll be done in, four, in, in an hour and a half. He'll be done. <laughs> he said to me, don't waste a good tragedy or a good disaster. I said, what in the world does that mean? And really had some wisdom in that, that when you hit um, a disaster of sorts and everything falls apart, you have an opportunity to rebuild be careful that you don't just rebuild the way it was, but rebuild the way it should be. And one of the things that we've got to do is find a way to build koinonia in our church family. Because here's one of the things that's frustrating me. We have a family in the church that a loved one passed away and funerals already passed, and burials happening, and I didn't hear about it until after it was all done. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to troll Facebook to find out what's going on in the body. I'm just not. Because when I troll Facebook, I get really mad at some stupid people. 
are not stupid people, stupid things they say. Edit that out, will you just cut that out and seam that together? But if we could find a way, and there is a way, that we could be knit together in fellowship where needs could be ministered to and taken care of and brought to leadership in a, in a healthy kind of fashion, we'd be fulfilling a biblical mandate. And so we'll be talking about how to do that and what direction to move. And um, I, I will tell you that I'm really enjoying teaching on Wednesday night. Those of you that are coming, that's a whole different um, forum for me and I'm loving doing that and we'll continue that for a while. It's almost like our Wednesday night has become our new Sunday night. You know, everything's becoming new. Have you noticed that? Someone said that 90 is the new 80, 80 is the new 70, 70 is the new 60, 60 is the new 50. And then they went on to say, that may be true, but 9 o'clock is still the new midnight. How many know? How <laughs> many know that? So there are things that we need to do, and I'm going to ask you to pray with us that we enter into community. Because it isn't, <laughs> oh, this isn't even in my notes. I should stay over by the podium. It isn't the will of God that the church body meet on Sunday morning, listen to preaching, experience worship, and then remain isolated during the week. The will of God is that we're inter interconnected, interacting in ways more than we um, have done up to this point. And so let's try to understand what koinonia looks like, what real biblical fellowship looks like and what that ought to do to us. John clearly expresses his purpose in writing his first epistle. We write this to make our joy complete. Chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And 1 John 2, 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So he's talking about the health and development of the body. Now, I want to compare that with why John wrote his first epistle to get clarity, or his first gospel, to get clarity on this first epistle. When John wrote his first gospel, his first writing, John chapter 20, 30 and 31 tells us this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he wrote, he wrote his gospel so that you would have everything that you need foundationally to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as your Savior. His first epistle wasn't written for that. The gospel was written to bring you into the kingdom. The first epistle was written so that when you come into the kingdom, the body stays healthy and fulfilling God's purpose and God's call. So 1 John is about biblical fellowship and what that really looks like. The Greek word koinonia speaks of association, community, communion, joint participation, intimacy, and sharing in common are all wrapped up in that word. So much more than fellowship. And I want you to think about your place in the body. And do these words describe your relationship with other believers? Association, sure, we're associated here. But what about true community and communion? A joint participation, intimacy, and sharing in common. 
You see, John is writing to an early church, an early Christian congregation that's experiencing internal conflict both over the nature of Christ and the content of a faithful response to Christ. They're arguing about who he is and how we should respond to him. They're experiencing at this time in their development false teachers infighting, becoming like the world, and doubting their own salvation. So John is writing to them about a church that's crumbling, that's in trouble, that needs to be strong. And John is the one that's known as the apostle of love. He writes all the time about love. Love should bring us into community. We were created for community and it's time to reclaim it. And over the next five weeks, here's what we'll discover about true biblical community. What will it produce? It will produce fullness of joy. It will produce the perfection of love. It will produce the purity of hope. It will produce spiritual discernment. And I'm going to pause there. Spiritual discernment is to be experienced in the body, not just in the individual, and then a victorious faith. That those five precepts are not going to happen apart from connection with other believers. So let's look at this whole idea of fullness of joy. What relationship is there between koinonia, fellowship, interaction, healthy interaction, and the fullness of joy? Well, in verses 1 and 2, John gives what I'm going to call the proclamation of life. Our faith is based on Jesus Christ. And our faith in Jesus Christ is based on firsthand experiences. What we have seen, what we've touched, what we've experienced. So we don't base our faith on a single revelation, but on a corporate or koinonia revelation. What do you mean by that? Well, if you study Islam, you understand that the foundation of Islam is based on revelation that one man had in a cave that some suggest may have been um, high at the time that was going on and created a syncretism of revelation and a Christian group that was circulating around. But there was no one else involved. No one else saw that. It was one revelation to one man. When we experienced the Jesus-only phenomenon in the assemblies of God, it wasn't a corporate worship experience. It was one man running through a revival camp yelling out, I've got a new word. I've got a new revelation. And a group split off from the assemblies of God form their own denomination that denies the Trinity. If you look at Mormonism today, where did it start? Revelations to one man that weren't shared in that inner circle of men that were around him at the beginning. Some of them said years later, none of that's true. We all agreed to make up the story. Golden plates and interpreters looking through stones and those golden plates were gone. Do you see what I'm saying? What is ours based on? It's based on testimony after testimony after testimony of men and women who experienced firsthand Jesus and his power and his love. They saw him die on a cross. They saw him put in the tomb. They saw the tomb empty. They saw him alive. They touched him. They put their hands in. It was a corporate community experience that testified to our faith from which there was not a single defector from what they had experienced. Watergate fell apart because a small group of men couldn't keep up the deception and John is saying we're not telling you about a revelation in a cave 
or somebody reading golden plates. We're telling you what we've all seen, what we've all heard, and we're all agreeing on the same thing. That's the foundation of our faith. The apostolic witness, the multitude of witnesses that saw him alive and testified to the story. Not one apostle ever turned from their story. It's the story of eternal life, and it becomes then a community experience. So the foundation of our faith rests on the testimony of a community of believers that are testifying to what Jesus had done. Look at verse 3. It says to us, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. It's a community experience. Our, our fellowship, now how many are still with me? Because this is foundationally important. Our fellowship is based on apostolic revelation. That's what our fellowship is based on. Our fellowship is not based on preferences. Our fellowship is not based on shared um, experiences separate from our faith. In other words, it doesn't matter whether you like contemporary or traditional. That's not the foundation of our faith. Come on. Doesn't matter how long you think the service should be. It's not about a style of worship. And it's not about preferences for how it should be done. What should our fellowship be based on? The truth of the revelation of the apostolic testimony that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he lived as a carpenter's son, that he ministered on the streets of Israel and went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, and out of that, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Our foundation isn't on the assemblies of God or a contemporary style or a manner of preaching. Are you hearing me this morning? Our fellowship based on the revelation of the apostolic testimony, and we need to stay anchored to that truth. Come on, somebody help me this morning. We are truth-based people. That's what knits us together. The truth of the word of God. And he says, we've told you this so that we can fellowship together. That means if you don't believe this, if you don't believe the truths about Jesus, we can't fellowship together. Come on. We can't fellowship with people that don't believe this. And our fellowship with each other is based on our fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. <laughs> now, I, I thought about how to illustrate this, but let's just kind of do it this way. If I had one person standing over there and one person standing over there and we had a ramp that went up to the point of the ceiling, what's going to happen as on those two far extremes they start walking up the ramp? As they get closer to the top, by definition, they have to get closer to each other. You see what I'm saying? So it is impossible for you to get closer to Jesus and move further from the body. 
The closer you get to Jesus, the closer you will be to other believers and your interaction with them will be healthier and stronger and fuller. We fellowship together and our fellowship is based on the Father and Son. So we write these things because our fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with you produces fullness of joy. Now, in the King James, it says that your joy may be complete. The NIV says that our joy may be complete, which is correct. Yes, both. Because it's not. <laughs> how many of you know? Come on. How many of you know that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? How many know? Come on. Help, help me out here this morning. How many of you have a baby brother or baby sister? And if they weren't happy, ain't nobody happy. And how many have met people that are okay if they're happy and everybody else is miserable? That's not what this is about. Do you know what this is about? All of us, leadership, laity, if I can use those terms, which I don't really like, but leadership and members of the body, all laboring and growing together and when, listen, I don't know how else to explain this. When we're in fellowship with one another and we're in fellowship with Jesus, that will produce joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. You cannot be isolated from the body and have fullness of joy. You cannot be mad at people at church and have fullness of joy. You can't be mad at God and have fullness of joy. But there's something in the wholeness of that, that when you love Jesus with all your heart and you have friends and family in the body of Christ and you share that together, there's something about that that makes you um, experience joy. And let me illustrate it this way. Well, I'm really thankful that both of my daughters are involved in ministry or when I see my daughter Tiffany as part of Chi Alpha on the platform and I see Crystal and then Justin and Jeremy. Do you know what that does? That's my family and we're sharing life together and that produces joy for me. How many are understanding what I'm saying? So then that is also true around the body. When I saw Pastor Nathan being blessed at District Council, I was crying while he was crying. It was so an amazing moment because we're fellowshipping together and we're fellowshipping with him and when you're really fellowshipping with him and with others, you will have joy. So if you don't have joy, look at your connection to the body or your connection to the head. One of those got unhooked. <laughs> Fullness of joy comes out of koinonia. <laughs> so then it tells us um, all of this rests on receiving the truth. Our fellowship rests on receiving the truth. I want to drive that home. It's not, listen, it's not based on the coffee being hot. It's not based on the temperature of the room being right. It's not based on any of those things. Our fellowship is based on receiving the truth. That's what should knit us together. Second, our fellowship, once we've received that truth, is based on walking in the light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And it's being used here, dark and light are being used to illustrate the difference between good and evil. 
John writes about it in his gospel. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They refuse to come to the light because they walk in evil and in darkness. And we hold that God is good all the time. And all the time. So God is good. And all the time. See, it doesn't matter what we're going through. It's a presuppositional position that we hold. We don't evaluate. Hear me, this is really important. We don't evaluate God based on our circumstances. We evaluate our circumstances based on God. How many are hearing me? So if God is always good, he's at work in my circumstances. When I get that backwards, then I look at my circumstances and say, how can God be good? Because my circumstances are bad. And that breaks fellowship. Then you're not walking in the light. Walking in the light says God is good and my circumstances will be evaluated and interpreted by what I believe about God, not the reverse of that. You cannot walk in light and darkness at the same time. Now think about that in a natural sense. Is that possible? You can walk in dark or you can walk in light. (laughs) You can't walk in dark and light at the same time. Because when you turn on the light, darkness has to leave. It's driven back. There's never a struggle. I've never come in here and turned on the lights and thought, boy, I hope light wins tonight. Because they're shoving back. I don't know. That light's going back into the bulb. No, now it's coming out. No, it's going back into the bulb. It doesn't happen. There isn't a struggle. When you turn out the light, darkness flees. Yeah, but when I go into a dark basement and I have a flashlight, I'm walking in dark. No, you're not. You're following the flashlight or you're an idiot. (laughs) Right? Right? I mean, it's like, it's dark down here. Turn on a flashlight, point it behind you and walk in the dark. That's not smart. You got a flashlight for what reason? I'm not trying to offend you, but you need a little waking up this morning. What do you have a flashlight? So you can follow the light. Hello? Come on. What are we doing? In the midst of darkness, we're walking in the light. If you shut off the flashlight, you walk in the dark. You stub your toe and you break your nose and you run into things. So you can't do both. You're either walking in light or you're walking in darkness. You say, well, the Bible says God dwells in darkness. It does. But contextually, Exodus 20, 21, on Mount Sinai, the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. What does that mean? Darkness as evil? No, darkness as reverence. Darkness as holiness. I, um, some things shouldn't be made fun of. Hello? Come on. Shouldn't be joked about. So I'm going to share this anyway because I just really grieved my spirit. At district council, I got to share about Sunstream. And I talked about my testimony. I'm from a broken home. 
Uh, I didn't know my mother was married before she married my dad until I was in about sixth grade. She was married seven times to five guys. I shared how I know what it is to take a knife away from my dad who's threatening to kill my mom, and he's drunk. I mean, that was growing up for me. So how did I get into ministry? It's because someone took me to a camp, and I shared this story. Somebody sent me to a camp, and it was at a camp in Birmingham, Iowa, that this little pilcher boy knelt at an altar, and Jesus came by and touched him. And when Jesus touched him, he gave his life to Jesus. Then I came back to another camp, and that same little pilcher boy knelt at the altar, and kneeling at the altar, God filled him with the Holy Spirit and he spoke in tongues. And then I came back to another camp and while I knelt there at the altar, God called me, actually it was an altar experience somewhere else, but at camp called me to ministry. And I said, I want that same experience for my grandkids and their kids and their kids. I want them to have that opportunity to be touched at camp. Okay, that was my testimony. Then a minister calls, he's laughing and joking around and he said, just want you to know nobody ever touched me at camp and turned it into a, a nasty joke. Yeah, that's broken. Hello? That's bro- I didn't even respond. That's just broken. Because there's some things, come on, there's some things that shouldn't be messed with. You need to walk in the light. And when you're walking in the light, don't start walking in the darkness. How many are hearing me? It's not funny to walk in darkness. It's not cute to joke about sin. We need to be really careful about that. You cannot walk in darkness at the same time. But God does dwell in a place of mystery. God does dwell in a place where you've got to press into his presence to know him. Paul says it this way about light and darkness. When Paul talked about his calling by God, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to open the eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, judge nothing before the appointed time till the Lord comes. He will bring the light what is hidden and expose the motives of men's hearts. And God said, 1 Corinthians 4, 6, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts and give us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. We are people who walk in the light. So once you've received the truth, what do you have to do? You have to walk in it, not just know it. Community is based on living the truth we've received. We walk in the light as he is in the light. And that will produce fellowship with each other. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, people who walk together in the light will have fellowship with each other. Come on. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, that cleansing, sanctifying experience is not an individual sanctification. It's an individual sanctification that happens in the context of community. That's why I believe that pastoral care happens best in small groups when we're interacting with each other. And so what happens is I'm walking along with you and we're walking in the light. And I say, have you ever been here? And you say something and you and the person you with feel a check like, oh, we stepped over a line. 
Is anybody hearing me this morning? As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse us from all unrighteousness because there is an amplified, sanctifying effect among believers who are living life in community. You have to walk in the light. So you have to receive the truth, then walk in the light, and none of us can do that all the time. Because verses 8 and 10 say that we need to confess our sins. Now watch how this unfolds in verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's challenging the idea of sinless perfection. I finally arrived at a place there is no sin in me and I can't be held responsible. I'm not accountable. I'm not going to be judged because I am free from sin. I am fully sanctified. The root of sin in me is dead and we reject that. Let me tell you why I reject it. I don't believe the Bible teaches it and second, I've never seen it. (laughs) The eradication of the sin nature is fake news until you get to heaven. So I, I, can I just, Christians say things that we just need to think about. And I get it. I, I get where we're coming from. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you still riding with me? Everybody all right? I read on Facebook, a good Christian person, loves Jesus, said, We need to stand up and have zero tolerance for sin. (laughs) Do you know what that means? Zero tolerance for sins that I'm not guilty of. Now, I'm not saying we tolerate sin. But we get this super holy attitude that I don't do that. I'm holy and you're pagan. Uh, Hang around with me for a while. You'll find out I have some weaknesses. Let me hang around with you for a while. We're going to find some places you need to grow in. Anything that's not like Jesus is sin. Come on, someone help me this morning. So let's not point the gun and start shooting at each other. Stomp our feet and demand, yes, we should stand against sin. But all sin, and particularly I should stand against sin that I'm experiencing, not sin that I'm not experiencing. (laughs) I'm having fun. I don't know if anybody else is. There were two rural church deacons snuck into town, thought no one would see them, decided it would be a good day to go back in their old lifestyle and sneak a beer at the tavern. They saw the minister drive by and he paused and took a look at their pickup truck outside. One of the deacons ducked down under the table and he said, I hope the reverend didn't see us or recognize my pickup. The other one said, what difference does it make? God knows we're here. He's the only one who counts. And the first deacon said, yeah, but God won't tell my wife. (laughs) You know what that's called? It's called community. Little Talia was 11 and she said, when your mom is mad at you, don't let her brush your hair. We all have issues. Are you hearing me? We all have issues we have to deal with. 
Let's not excuse them, but let's not be guilty of stomping our feet at others simply because we're not doing what they're doing. You see, if you say you have no sin in you, if we say we are without sin, there's no sin in us, I don't have the capacity to do wrong, then you deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Isaiah stood in the presence of Almighty God. He saw the seraphim with the six wings. Two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, with two they flew. The glory of the Lord filled the throne room of God. And what did Isaiah say? I'm so thankful I am pure enough to stand here in his glory. When you see the holiness of God, your response will be, woe is me, I'm undone. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about being soft or excusing. I'm simply saying that when we stomp our feet at sin, we tend to do it at things we're not guilty of. And all of us have areas we need to work on. Are you hearing me? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9 then was written to believers and it says this, if we, not if they, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we, the body of Christ, see I'm absolutely convinced that the Holy Spirit has no more freedom to deal with lost people in church than he has freedom to deal with saved people in church. If he can't move and convict the believers, there'll be no ministering to the unbelievers. But when judgment comes first to the house of God, then out of that flows an incredible opportunity. I believe that God is in the forgiveness business. I believe that if we confess, he will forgive. Read about a man who had some shirts that were dirty and he wanted to take them to the cleaners. <clears throat> he threw the shirts into the trunk of his car and forgot about them. He also forgot about the shirts when he changed a flat tire the week before and left the jack lying loose in the trunk. Several days had passed. He remembered the shirts, took them out and took them to the cleaners. Now, not only are they dirty, but they are grease stained. They were a mess. He walked into the cleaners and he said, young lady, to the young lady at the desk, I'm so sorry for how dirty these shirts are. I'm so sorry I didn't pay attention to them. I'm so sorry. And she said, please don't apologize. That's why we're here. If you could take care of them yourself, you wouldn't need us. That'll preach. If you could take care of it yourself, you wouldn't need him. So you don't have to apologize. You do have to repent and confess. And he's in the cleansing business. Now, verse 10 says, 
if we claim we have not sinned. So verse 8 is saying, there's no sin in me, but if you claim I've not sinned, I haven't done anything wrong, and we have this whole argument that goes on, can you live without sin? Well, if I can do it for a second, I can do it for a minute. If I can do it for a minute, I can do it for an hour. If I can do it for an hour, I can do it for a day. But how many know that life doesn't work that way? It's not conducted in a vacuum. None of us should desire to sin because chapter 2 talks about that. But he says, if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Boss called in one of his employees one day and said, uh, sir, do you believe in life after death? The employee said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. I'm a Christian. I believe in life after death. He said, well, then you won't be surprised to learn that after you left early yesterday to go to your grandmother's funeral, she stopped in to see if you wanted to go to lunch. <laughs> Fellowship isn't, watch. Fellowship isn't based on not having sin. Fellowship is based on confessing our sin and getting it clean. So when you're in a struggle, I don't come to you going, really, how could you? Because my shirt was pretty dirty and there are times I left it in the trunk and there might be something next week. I'll have to take some things to the cleaner. And I know this, that if I confess my sin, Amen. he's faithful and just. You say you're a pastor, it's easier for you. Are you serious? I have to deal with all you people. <laughs> Tell me it's easier. <laughs> but it's in dealing with all you people that brings fullness of joy. Because together, we're not demanding that somebody be something we're not. We say, let us walk together and I'll walk with you to the same altar I needed yesterday. And the same Jesus that met me there will meet you there today. And as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I talked to, uh, I felt like, Monday night, and I, I want to illustrate it. I want you to, and I'll wrap this up, but I, at, at council, I felt like God gave me a word, and I was in the place to lead after worship time. And I felt like God really laid heavy on my heart that there were some individuals there that were crying tears alone in the night because no one knew what they were going through. And they felt like they couldn't be vulnerable because they were pastors. And I said, tonight, you don't have to be the pastor. You can be part of the body. Hello? I'm not Moses. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the Pope. I'm just pointing you down the road that I walk as well. And together, if we will have an authenticity, this ought to be a place that we want to run to when something breaks, not a person we hide from or a place we hide from when something breaks. That we love one another and we come alongside those that are struggling. Now, I, I know that sometimes that's hard. My wife and I deal with issues differently. And... Um, when our kids were little, I would deal with blood, she'd deal with vomit. How many of you can't deal with vomit? I mean, are you kidding me? 
my son was in the car, he was sick and about to throw up and I'm driving him home and I said, boy, I'm your father, not your mother. <laughs> and that vomit better hit the toilet or you're cleaning it up because I'm your father, not your mother and I don't do vomit. Now you could say that wasn't very kind. It wasn't, it was survival. But to one another, you don't look at a child then and say, why are you sick? Get over it. What do you do when they're sick? You bathe their brow. You sit by their side. How many of you got seven up and chicken noodle soup when you were sick? And you drank it when it was flat. If, if nothing would make you sick, cold chicken noodle soup and flat seven up will kill you. <laughs> we come alongside the help. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That should be the atmosphere of the church. When you come here broken, you're not going to leave worse. You're going to leave better. Because we're going to walk together in the light and confess our sin. Fellowship is based on confessing our sin. It links us together. So I'm going to wrap it up this way as Pastor Nathan comes. Biblical community will produce full joy. And it's a simple formula. Receive the truth, walk in the light, confess our sins, and we'll have community in full joy. Repeat that after me if you would, please. Receive the truth, walk in the light, and confess our sins. And what will we have? Fullness of joy. That's what community produces. So let's stand together. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I just wonder this morning, if you're not experiencing full joy, where's it off the hook? Where's it unhooked? Have you received the truth? Listen, I've never met a happy person who is fighting the truth. I've never met a happy atheist or a happy believer, that unbeliever that had fullness of joy. I've never met one. They might be happy for a period, but that fullness isn't there. Receive the truth. Are you walking in the light? Or have you heard the truth and refused to walk in it? Are you afraid to confess your sins because you've got an attitude to keep up, a rep to keep up? No, together we can have fullness of joy. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. So I'm just going to ask you to worship for a few minutes and say, if you're lacking in joy, God, where do I need to firm it up? the kink in the hose where's the kink in the hose the water's on nothing's coming out this end where do I need to unkink the hose let's just worship him for a while isn't the name of Jesus wonderful isn't the name of Jesus wonderful Isn't the name of Jesus? 
Jesus beautiful Son of God and one of us the lover of our soul isn't the name of Jesus beautiful most eternal eternal Jesus, I simply ask this morning that you would help us see the value of koinonia in the context of fullness of joy. Would you put a fresh new commitment in our hearts that we will build community so that out of that will come fullness of joy. And we will thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Everyone that loves him, let me hear your hands this morning. We serve a great God.